Women aren't born warriors. We become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week, I'm interviewing women who, through tragedy and triumph, are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. I have a new sponsor. It's the Business Relationship Alliance. That's the bra network, guys. I love the bra network. It's a network of female entrepreneurs that lift and support each other. Guys, I love this group. I've talked about it many times. They believe in collaboration over competition. They hire women in their own network first, and they have amazing elevated networking events and courses. I've taken many of them. Guys, I can't say enough about the bra network. Use my code warrior for 10% off an annual membership. Well, 2020 is almost over. Oh, hooray. Ah, I know you guys like me are so ready to get rid of 2020. Let's just take out the trash and start anew. Well, I thought that I was going to kind of come into 2020 like a boss, but guess what? It's a dumpster fire to the end. I ended up with my daughter in the hospital uh, 12 days, even during Christmas. It has been rough, but Today on the show, we're going to talk to my great friend, Suzanne Watson. Suzanne Watson is a film producer and has made a beautiful film about love and redemption, and it is called Hosea. And I think this is the perfect way to end our year together. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. But first, have you ever dreamed of having your own podcast? I did, and I launched it but I couldn't have done it by myself. I worked with Becky Harrington. BH Marketing saved me. They helped me launch my dream podcast. They helped me develop it, brand it, record it, publish it, and even promote it. If you're curious about launching your own podcast, look no further than BH Marketing. That's bhmarketingfirm.com. And tell them that Liz sent you. Use code WARRIOR for your special discount. On with the show. Today, Suzanne Watson joins us, and I am so thrilled she's here. She is a producer of a new film called Hosea. Hosea is a beautiful, raw, modern-day retelling of the ancient biblical story told through the eyes of a forgotten female character. Suzanne and I are really good friends, and we always have these real conversations, usually at Claudine's. That's our our place, Suzanne. Claudine's Kitchen and Big Shop, my first ad. But we talk about motherhood and kids and career struggles and the pandemic. And today we're going to talk about what it's like to be a female filmmaker, being a white mother to a black son and being comfortable in uncomfortable conversation. Let's do this, Watson. Let's do it. Oh, my gosh. It's so good to see you virtually. I know. So this is funny, Suzanne, because we talked about this even before I did this podcast. We were like, well, I'm, you're going to do a podcast. And I literally thought to myself, yeah, it's going to be like the talks you, you and I have. As you know, because I, I get nervous about these kinds of things. So you kept asking me to do this and I was like dodging it. Not really. yeah, yeah, you were trying to hide from me, Suzanne. You I, know, know, I, like, I do. I'm like, I want to talk, but just makes me nervous to know, you know, other people are going to be listening in. So <laughs> <laughs> just pretend we're at Claudine's together, Suzanne. It's just you no, and me. No I won't cry. Usually you get me to cry. Like if we're at Claudine's, it's like a real, you know. I know, um, and I miss our Claudines. Now we only take out our Claudines, but we could maybe sit outside on the on the little street on the little street right. side. We could do that. Okay, Suzanne, yeah. back to the interview. Here we go. I also call her Watson. That's her last name. Okay, Suzanne, you've come a long way since your childhood, growing up in Oklahoma, girl. What was life like for you growing up, and what did you think you would be? What did little Suzanne think? <laughs> little Suzanne, yeah, I would say I characterize my childhood as very all American, you know, in the eighties, like I, my parent, my mom was a teacher. My dad was an engineer, had a brother and sister. We lived, uh, the first 10 years of my life, we were in a small town, Duncan, Oklahoma, which is why I named my youngest son, Duncan. I don't know if you knew that. I and, did know that. That's so cool. that? Yeah. That's why I named him Duncan. So symbolic there. And then, you know, we'd, I'd ride my bike to my best friend, Eric's house. It was just a really safe, happy, upbringing. And then we moved uh, middle school and high school. We moved around a bit because of my dad's job. And I say those are pretty formative years because it, uh, I feel like it 
kind of led me to being pretty adaptable to new situations. You know, like now I feel really comfortable being in, in a situation where I don't know anybody, which I don't know if I would have been like that early on had we not moved, which is hard for kids, you know, when you're coming in first yeah. day of school, not knowing who you're going to sit with at lunch because you don't know anybody. But, uh, but yeah, so as a, as a young kid, I just, I dreamed of being an actress. I dreamed of coming to LA and, you know, being by the beach and there being palm trees and like parties and just like, I don't know. I just thought like all of it, the glitz and the glamour. Like, <laughs> I love that. I love that. And then you did it. You moved to LA. So that's insane. I did. So I just, I just always wanted to be in a big city with a lot of hustle and bustle and just different people from different worlds and different perspectives. And I just thought that that would be exciting. And it is. And it has been. It, it is exciting. Sometimes we forget that because we live here and we complain. <laughs> but it is exciting <laughs> to live here. <laughs> it is exciting. Um, right. And what made you interested in filmmaking? It started with, you know, wanting to be an actor. My mom, when I was young, I remember I had memories of her watching like AMC, all the old time movies. So I grew up watching those and really again, wanting to kind of be in this world. And anytime I was around anything that had to do with putting like together creativity, like doing a play or something like that, I just, it got me so excited. And so I really, I wanted to come out here and do that. And uh, I did come to LA in my twenties and pursued acting. And when I got into acting, I found out I actually really loved producing and filmmaking. And that's where my skill set was best suited. And so that's kind of how I got into the filmmaking process. So you realized you kind of like the behind the scenes more than the on camera. I think that happens a lot to people because I think people don't really realize what that on camera thing really is. Yeah. That's that's the first, I think that's the first thing that you sort of understand as a kid. And then there's just like all these other pieces to that puzzle. And I started my career off actually in Houston in the live events world producing. And so I already had that kind of under my belt. And so when I moved to LA and started doing acting, I still would do some of that on the side. And then back in the early days here, when I was doing acting, that's kind of when people first started getting into doing like YouTube and things like that. You started creating, creating your own stuff. Cause you, yeah. you had this, we started having smartphones and being able to, to shoot things pretty easily. And so I started with some friends doing short films and instead of doing acting, I would produce them and was like, oh, I really, I really like this a lot. So that's yeah, but this work. one was a big one. We're going to talk about this because th- yeah, this yeah. when you when you leap into a feature film, Suzanne, that is like yeah. a full marriage, by the way. And you're already married to one guy, Brian. He's very nice, <laughs> but still, you have another marriage. Okay, but we're not. We're getting to that in a minute. Um, you started your journey. It always fascinates me because we we always talk about our kids. So Landon and Desmond, we we love to talk about how we have boys that don't even like to write their full name on a paper because they're just too busy. So they'll be like, Landon will be like L. I'm like, can you write the A N D N O N? You can't. You can't do that. You don't have enough time. Desmond D E S. Yeah, that's it. I mean, we love boys. Um, but you're but Desmond is adopted. So you you made the choice, and I want to kind of know about this. What made you choose adoption as your first kind of experience of motherhood? And did you know what you were getting into, Suzanne Watson, when you were like, let me just adopt? Sure. Yeah, of course not. Nobody knows what they're getting into when they become parents. But yeah, no, I early on when I was a kid, I had this memory of seeing a family and for the first time realizing there was more than one way to become a family. Like it didn't, you didn't have to have biological kids to become a parent. And that seed was sort of planted early on. Like I really want to adopt someday. That's something I want to do. And so I was lucky because I married Brian, someone who felt the same way. Cause a lot of guys actually don't feel that way. They don't adoption's not something that's on their radar that they're passionate about. And he was pretty open to it. And so in our late twenties, when we talked about starting our family, uh, it was Brian who was the one that said, I really feel like we should adopt first. And then, you know, if we can and want to have biological kids, we will, but that way it's a choice. Like that's our first choice. And so it was really, it was Brian who was the one that was like, let's do that first. And I knew that I wanted to go internationally. And the agency that we were going through had a bunch of different countries that they adopted out of. And Rwanda was their pilot program at the time, 10 years ago. 
And just a lot had happened in Rwanda and I just felt kind of called to go there. And so that's how we ended up choosing Rwanda and then just the whole adoption journey, which is definitely a journey and a marathon in itself. You know, it's kind of a miracle that it's such a miracle that any, I mean, every kid. I think it's a miracle that it works out. It totally. I think like there's so many things and so many barriers. And so, I mean, I've heard people when they talk about adoption, yeah. People's stories are usually fraught with tragedy for God's sakes. Like, I mean, the, you know, they, you, you're hoping that you, that you kind of make it through the whole process. So was it, was it harder because it was Rwanda? Was it, or was it easier in some ways? I, I don't know than a domestic adoption. No, it, every single adoption story is different. Like no one is the same, just like every pregnancy is different. Right. And I feel like we got really fortunate on, uh, on like the paperwork side of things because they give you this whole like laundry list of things that you have to do. And I mean, it really is a marathon. It's such a miracle of like so many people have to come to your house and you do interviews and background checks. I mean, what you have to go through to adopt a child is kind of crazy, right? Yeah, consider anybody just gets pregnant and has a baby and boom. Right. And a lot of people have issues and you can't have, but it's just like, it made me realize like, wow, like you really want to adopt. Like this is like a choice. You work very, very hard to get this kiddo. And, and I think back, I'm like, man, what, what a miracle that was. Cause we had to turn paperwork into like Sacramento. So to the secretary of state here in California, and then they send it to DC. It's a dossier. So it's all this paperwork that took me like six to nine months to put together, which is pretty fast actually. And standing in long lines here in LA, at the city of LA, like, please like fill out this stamp, this thing for me. So you send it to, I send it to uh, the secretary of state here. They send it over to DC. DC then translates it into Ken Rwanda. Then they send it to Rwanda. So it's just this, I'm like, how is this, this thing getting, and it sits on someone's desk for months and months and months. And then they sent it to the orphanage and, and then they match us with the kiddo. I mean, it's not that simple, obviously, but it so they matched you though. They chose does for you. Yeah. So they had, yeah. So the, he's from, a uh, uh, mother Teresa orphanage. And so the sister, like the head sister, there is the one who like prayed over our work, our paperwork and decided which kiddo we were going to get, which is kind of crazy. That is amazing. Well, our kid, as you know, cause you know him, but, yes. uh, it's just such a miracle because then after it's meant to be my kid. Sometimes I think that's right. That's right. Maybe you never know. Sometimes. Shortly after we, we got him like six months later, they actually closed Rwanda for international adoptions and they haven't opened it up since. Oh, so really? Had, yeah. If we had turned our paperwork in like just a few months later, we never would have gotten Desmond. So it's just kind of like the whole thing is just, it's, it's really, it's, kind of crazy like some people wait years and years and years to get their yeah. kids. well meant to be clearly what was it like when you first laid eyes on Mr. Desmond <laughs> I have a- to know I have yeah, to know. it was the best day of my life I mean we we flew over we, we got his referral in December December 8th and then on like in the end of January we went six weeks later we were able to to get over there and we were waiting in this room for him and we just, I see, I see the nuns like carrying him. They'd like woken him up from a nap and it was just like so cute. And just, it's that moment of, I mean, now we've gone from just the two of us. Now we're a family. And I didn't even realize the second they handed him to me, I was like, I don't even know how to change a diaper. I don't oh know. My how God. Much, like, I don't know how much I, I spent so much time, like trying to get everything together to be able to get him. I hadn't actually thought about be, like being taking care of a baby. Oh so, I, like, I don't know like, how much to feed him. And now they're handing him to me. I don't know what to do, but it's just so instinctual. And we just ultimately, I mean, he was just like, we melted, you know, I Brian mean, quickly grabbed him from me and he held, held Desmond. So there's that first picture that you've seen of us, but like, it is just, and how old day- was he? He was nine and a half months. He was almost 10 months old, which if you're a parent, that's just the greatest age ever for a kid. Cause they're, very like uh, responsive and they can have some words and he was pretty advanced you know I was expecting this kid who was really malnourished and like couldn't do much and he was like w- walking by the time we got back to LA he was like taking his first steps so I mean, just, like, amazing mm-hmm. amazing I love it because he has so much personality he is literally hilarious to me. Just the look he sometimes will give. I'm like, oh my God, this kid, he just kills me. And so I just love that he was given to you, that he was picked, hand-selected and prayed over for you, mama. 
I love yeah. it. I love he's, that so much. He's the greatest thing. I mean, he really, he really is. And he's like such a Watson. He's just like my husband's family. He's up for anything. He's really adaptable. Life of the party. It's just meant to, we're just meant to be. Yeah, you're meant to be. Well, we've often discussed this humbling nature of motherhood. I, I, I've said this before and I really mean it. I feel like God just shows us the straightaways because if he showed us like what's around the corner, we would be like, oh no, I'm not going. Nope, just gonna lay right here. I'm not doing it. <laughs> but he doesn't show us what's coming around the corner. So we like kind of go, we're, we're cruising on the straightaways and all of a sudden we're like, what? And he just comes. Um, but what would you say your biggest parenting struggles have been? Because we, you and I have talked about many things, ADHD, we have talked about, our, you know, having that as a struggle. Like what, what do you think, or is it more of an internal struggle? Like knowing that you're, are you doing it right? Or, you know, are, are you serving their needs? Cause they're your kids, your three kids are so different in so many ways. Oh so what you, what's been your biggest, uh, parenting struggle? Kids can humble you in a way you never knew you needed to be humbled. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> right. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, there's two things. One, I think as parents, you're always in your head, like, am I doing enough? And you're really hard on yourself. And I think just giving yourself permission that, I mean, we are doing the best that we can. And if you think back to your own parents, like my mom didn't have it figured out, but I thought she did because she was my mom, you know, and I realized, oh my gosh, that was really hard. And she did the best she could. But I, I would say, uh, Probably, I mean, there's, there's lots of things we could touch on, but that would be a whole podcast in itself is, uh, as you know, like with Desmond, when he, so when we got him, he was so, I mean, like I said, he was really advanced. Like he was walking and he talked he was a really early talker. And as my first kid, I didn't even know that that was like unusual. Like he, he was very articulate, had a huge vocabulary. He's just, he's really smart. And when we got into elementary school, uh, like in the very early, at the very beginning, like in kindergarten early on, I was confused because I was like certain things, like the basic stuff seemed really hard for him, but then higher level thinking is really easy. And it just didn't add up to me. I was like, that doesn't really make sense. And, you know, at the beginning, people would kind of tell us, well, he's a boy, like they'll catch up, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of that going around. Right. I'll say and that. Then, yeah. Totally. And then it kind of, at the, towards the end of kindergarten, and again, he was so little, they were like, you know, we're going to, we've got a, a, like a reading specialist here. We're going like, to get some extra support because he seems like a, like he might need some support in that area. And that kind of led to like a few years of getting, you know, a lot of extra support with uh, some of that stuff, like, like the language-based things, like reading, writing, and math. And I just, in my gut, I was like, something just doesn't add up again. Like he, he can like articulate this stuff, but like the basic stuff is hard. And so I went to Serena, our friend who you had on this podcast, who was the head Dr. of Laura. Serena, tap yourself yeah. on the yeah. shoulder, make right. sure you get that one. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to give her lots of plugs, but she, uh, you know, I went to her, she was the head of the lower elementary and I'm just like, I'm not, something's not adding up, you know? And I, I'm, I'm not feeling like like this is maybe the right place for him. And she's like, well, you know, information is knowledge and knowledge is power. Let's figure this out. Let's get some testing. And so we did some testing and like long story short, we figured out that he does have some like language-based learning differences, but mainly dyslexia. And so we realized, okay, this isn't the best place for him. Let's figure out a place that is like a school that is going to teach the way that he learns. And so that was a really big, for me, a moment of like, okay, what do I do? Because if I if I move him to a different school, that means at that time we were going to be in three different schools. And the next year I was going to be filming this movie. It was not in the same town as my kids. Like this is going to be really tough, but this yeah. is what's best for my son. And so ultimately we moved him to a different school and it's been amazing. And so many people have reached out to me like who are all secretly struggling with the same thing. Like if you have more than one kid, the likelihood is one of them doesn't learn traditionally. You know, so yeah. <laughs> we've had I, think, I think that's what's really hard, though. I think before you figure that out, and we've talked about this, because mm -hmm. Landon ha doesn't have dyslexia as ADHD, but he he for years had trouble with different things, and they what they start to do is say, "Well, I'm stupid, right? That's why I can't figure it out." And and because you don't have an answer, and you you keep saying, "Well, you're not stupid, honey. This is just we're just trying to figure out what's going on." And da 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 da. The longer that goes on, they start internalizing that. So what's, so what's so hard, I think, about that whole situation is they start believing like, oh, no, I'm just not smart enough. That's actually what's going on. And you're not telling me because you're my mom and you're not going to tell me really what's going on. So by the time you t say, oh, oh, my God, you have dyslexia or you have ADHD or whatever you have, it's like then you got to unring that bell, that, right. that like I'm not smart enough bell. Right. 
because they just, you know, it, it gets exhausting when you start, you're not doing well on the test and other people are just getting their A's for breakfast and you're just trying to like figure out what is going on with this test. It's so, it's, yeah, it's so hard. I remember as a kid growing up and math was really hard for me and I had terrible test anxiety. And if, you know, if they had the testing back then that we have now, they would have been like, okay, she has anxiety. She needs extra time on tests. And I probably had dyscalculia, which is like a math, you know, learning, but I always felt like I was dumb because I wasn't good at math. I'm like, no, I just, that's, I just, math was hard for me. You know, I just probably needed extra support. We just didn't have that support back then. Like we do now, we didn't have uh, you know, names for these things. So I think that, um, being able to, there's a balance of labeling and we kind of over label now though too, you know, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's, that was hard to make that decision, but it was the right decision. And it's really been, I mean, where he is now and where maybe he would have been is like two different places. So it's funny, right? Those decisions seem so hard and horrible, but you're right. Once you commit and say, okay, I just feel like this is the right thing, even though it seems like it's going to be much more work, different schools, all these different things. But when they're in the right place and they're being taught by people who understand their way of learning, it is a whole different ballgame because a lot of people yeah. don't have that opportunity. Like this, that school that he goes to is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it just gives you such a huge piece. And, and it's like your, your challenge is, can actually end up being your superpower. It doesn't have Absolutely. to be, you know. Absolutely. Um, so the Black Lives Matter movement, we've talked about this a lot because <clears throat> first of all, Everyone knows I'm white. I'm white. If you don't know by now, I'm going to tell you. You are? Okay. Uh, I'm white. Um, but I will tell you, you know, this Black Lives Matter moment has really, and it's not a moment, it's a movement, and it's going to go on for a long time. And it's it's just the beginning of what the work we really need to be doing. But it's been an eye-opener for me because I didn't realize how kind of whitewashed my history and my thinking were. So only now am I really coming to grips with reading things like Stamp from the beginning and realizing I have to learn history all over again. And I have to really think about the things I'm doing and saying, and am I being actively anti-racist? And am I, you know, I, this brought up a lot of questions for me, but you, Suzanne Watson, as a white mother to a black son, I wanted to know, like, how have you been kind of grappling with this? It's not that you weren't grappling with it before you were, but has, have you gained any kind of new understanding through this movement and this, this point in time? Because I feel like it's finally coming into the national landscape, like really late and too late for a lot of us. But tell me about, you know, you as a mother to a Black son. Yeah, it's been, it's eye-opening, right? It's like I, uh, if you would have told me in my late 20s when we were going through this process of adopting, I mean, this wasn't even on my radar. I didn't even, I didn't even think about this, this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, no, once you're handed your child and you become the mom, I mean, this is, this is your reality. And uh, it just early on, you know, Brian and I were talking about this this morning and it's like, you just, we've seen it through a different lens, you know, um, just all the little microaggressions and then just flat out racist stuff. And it's kind of like, sometimes you think, well, you know, just a one-off, a comment here and a comment there, you know, maybe they didn't mean that, but it's like, somebody said like, it's a, a lot of cuts. What is, what's the saying? Um, I don't remember. Sorry. I'm forgetting like it right now. Deck, but peck to deck by ducks kind of a little yeah, bit. Little yeah. Bit. Yeah. It's like death by a thousand cuts, basically. Yes. Death by a thousand cuts. And so it's just sort of seeing the world through his And you his think that's coming towards you or coming towards Desmond or both? Uh, both, both. Because as a mom, I think you, I mean, definitely more him, obviously. But as a mom, you you feel what your kid feels, right? And this- uh, oh, And also stupid adults say really dumb things to you. And I've heard many things that you have said, <laughs> Suzanne, just saying. <laughs> right, yeah. Everyone's like, it just is heartbreaking because you're like, it shouldn't be this way, but it is. But the thing about this movement and this time that we're in, as sad as it is and what's led to this is so heartbreaking, I truly believe and I'm energized by what is happening because I don't think if we were not in a global pandemic, if this world had not shut down, I don't think... The people who, some of the people who are listening and actually starting to take action would be doing that because they wouldn't have had time. They would have been like too busy and too preoccupied. So it's leading to a lot of good conversations, but it, it's definitely, 
it's hard, you know, to have these conversations with him, but they're with, with all of our kids, you know, early on in this pandemic, when all of this stuff was happening with George Floyd and, and all the others, it was like, we would go on walks every morning and I just kind of talk to him about some of this stuff, you know, and it's just, it's, it's sad and it's hard, but it's, what does he think? Like, what is his take on it? He's a, he's an 11 year old. So that's, that's that. But, uh, he, it, it's just sad. He doesn't like to talk about it a lot and he'll like brush it off, but I'm really proud of him because what I'm trying to do is when he was younger, it's like we would fight his fights for him. But what I'm trying to do now is give him the tools for him to be able to speak up for himself. And I really saw him start to do that last year before the world shut down. And like, that's what we have to do as parents is give our kids the tools that they need for their toolbox, you know? And so that's uh, what I've really been trying to do. And, and I've seen it in him. So he's doing all right. It's just, it's hard. Cause it just, you don't realize, uh, how often people say things, you know, to black kids or black people that you would you be horrified by this, like this is everyday life. That And what do you tell him? Like when someone says something that is a deeply hurtful thing, you know, whatever, if they insult him or they make a comment, how do you help? Like, what do you say to him to help him like process that out so that he, I don't know, like doesn't internalize it. I mean, I can't, how can he not, but you know, what do you say? Yeah. It's more not about what I say, but just listening to him. Like I just ask him a lot of questions and we kind of like, what are you thinking? And do you understand why this is wrong? Do you understand like why we're getting upset and why you have to speak? It's like really explaining it to him because he is such a people pleaser. He doesn't like to cause, he doesn't want anyone to get in trouble. And so oftentimes at school when people have said things, it's usually someone else who tells me and not him. Because he doesn't get anyone in trouble. And that's why I'm really like, no, you, the reason they're telling us and they're, you know, explaining like why this is so important. And, uh, and he, he's getting it. And it's just, it's just hard. It's just part of what it is. And, um, you know, I, I just, it's funny as a mom, I'm like, oh, I didn't realize this would be part of it, but I'm doing the best that I can. And oftentimes I, I feel really insecure about being white to like, I'm not doing the right, I'm not saying the right stuff and I'm not, I'm not doing you know, maybe what a black mom would be doing, but, um, I've gotten a lot of encouragement for some of my friends. So I'm like, okay, I'm, but I'm his mom, you know, and I was, I was chosen to be his mom. He was chosen to be my son. I'm going to do everything I can to be his ally. And I'm going to be there for him and fight for him and give him everything he needs in life. So I think you're doing an awesome job and that's just my personal opinion. Um, okay. So let's jump, let's switch gears and talk about your filmmaking because yes, you've been interested in filmmaking. You thought you were going to be a bright, shiny actress, but instead you are just going to be Mrs. Watson filmmaker. Right. So I want to know what in the world made you and led you to Hosea and what made you, because this, a feature is a whole different, you, short films is one thing, Suzanne, a feature where you're going to leave your family and go make a movie, Suzanne Watson and leave Brian in charge. <laughs> so he did a good job yeah he did an amazing job but I'm just saying even with an amazing job that's a that's a brave move so tell me tell me about what led you to Hosea and making a big feature I guess I'll sort of explain where the inspiration came from there's a narrative in the Old Testament of a prophet named Hosea who God tells to marry a prostitute and then she he marries her and she goes back to the streets. And then he says, I want you to go back and continue to love her and, and bring her home. There's not a lot to that narrative, but it's often told or retold in, in, in Jewish cultures and then in Christian religions, uh, it's used as a metaphor for love and redemption. And I always thought that it was an interesting narrative. Early on, I read a book about uh, that was based off of this. And I thought, well, what would this look like if it was told in a modern day, like retold or reimagined in a modern day setting? Yeah. And, uh, like in a really like gritty, like authentic way with three dimensional characters. Like, what does this look like? And so that was kind of a seed that was planted really early on, like, I mean, 20 years ago and then cut to like 10 years, basically my late 20s, early 30s. I was talking to a friend of mine. And I was like, you know, I kind of want to do a reimagining of the Hosea story as a feature. I don't really even know how to get started on that. And she said, well, you know, our mutual friend, Ryan, wants to do the same thing. He literally just like told me this the other day. I'm like, you're kidding me. And so cut to Ryan and I meet at a coffee shop one Saturday morning. 
like at 6 a.m. and we talk about what we kind of imagine this to be. And he writes some stuff on note cards. He's going to be the writer director. I'm going to produce it. And then that we gave each other a hug and that was it. We're like, we're going to make a movie. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, that's kind of how it all got started. And then, uh, I mean, it's just a huge, huge process. And, and in that process, we brought on a partner, a producing partner. So there's three of us who made this movie and we all really wanted to reimagine the story, but this time through the female point of view. I mean, that was kind of our whole take on this. And we, you know, we wanted to do, deal with themes of identity and love and acceptance and, you know, all of the above. So we set out to tell this movie and it was a, it was hard. It was a hard process. It was years and years in the making because it's a passion project. So that doesn't mean that you're working on it, you know, full time every day, all day. It means you're working on it in the mornings, early mornings, late nights, weekends, whenever you have extra time. And like you said, it's a feature. So that's a whole other bag of worms right <laughs> and uh we went from development to you know raising money for it to doing all kinds of pre-production and, and production and we shot it in a different location we, we shot it in Oklahoma you know that's also because of where I'm from and my writer our writer director he uh he has connections there too so we you know we, we weren't shooting here in LA which was tough to leave the family and and now we're on the distribution side of things. We've just released it. It's really fun. And uh, well, now you're in the fun part, but the bad part. <laughs> yeah, we're getting to talk about it. So it's yeah. a lot of fun. I mean, it's just, it's been really cool to have conversations because this movie is really meant to watch with a group of people. We have a discussion guide that goes with it to talk about for people who want to go dive deeper into the themes. And so it's been a lot of uh fun to to do that is to be able to right now we're doing a lot of virtual discussions but just to hear from people who have dealt with some of the themes in the movie and to kind of see how they're processing it is has been really rewarding so well first of all I have to I, one one compliment I would love to give these actors the the lead female and the male is those two have some chemistry yeah can you like, like the first time they kissed as adults after they hadn't seen each other, like as kids or whatever, I was like, hello. Like, I was like, wow. Like, cause that doesn't always like, you know, sometimes when I see flashbacks of them, like, oh, they liked each other's kids. And then they show the adults. I'm like, eh. but those two, they kissed and I was like, ba-boom. Um, so they had great chemistry on screen, which I loved seeing. Um, but it was, it's a hard movie to watch in some parts. It brings up a lot of different, like really strong issues. And I don't want to give things away, but I will say that you gotta, you have to watch this movie. But I, what I thought was amazing about it was how she was using sort of art as her kind of therapy on herself and the way she was interpreting things. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was a really interesting kind of arc to that, like the way she kind of like was doing that through photography and showing what she was showing, you know, mm -hmm. and that then, and then people didn't really want her to show that. Right. Like right. even her cute husband was like, I don't know, you should do that. You know, so it is, it's even when you are who is with the, and trying to be the savior and trying to, you know, offer mm -hmm. someone redemption. It is funny how you can kind of take on the role of the savior and think you're saving everyone. But really, I feel like she was saving herself. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Well, yeah. at least was trying to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I know we talked about the ending before we got on here, but like yes. this. I was, I'm just, so mad at Suzanne for the ending. I'm just going to say that right yeah. now. I like I a Disney that, movie ending. I like a Disney movie. Yeah, if you like a Disney movie, but if you like a real authentic ending, then you're going to like this movie. It's still but, a good ending. It's just, you know, no, I wanted it. I like, like, I think this is the kind of movie, I mean, it is because people have told me this is like, you are thinking about it the next day. You still have yeah. questions. And to me, that's always a marker of a good movie. When I'm thinking about something the next day, I'm wrestling with it then it, it's gotten to me. And, and that's what, you know, that's the whole point. So it's, it's been just a lot of fun to have these conversations because everyone kind of has a different take and it's yeah. being art subjective. So you're allowed to have a different take. Yeah. Well, I know it's a good movie when I, the person that I consider the bad guys in the movie that I'm like literally gritting my teeth and wanting to punch them in the face. Like, I feel like if I saw those two actors, I'd like hit them. So it's really funny. Like that's when I know I'm riled up. Like when I get riled up, I was, I told you, I paused the movie. I'm like, wait a minute. What's happening? How much longer is this in the movie? I need to know what's happening. I started freaking myself out. I was like, what's going on? You know, that's when I know. That's when I know I'm really having a problem. I'm like, what's happening? 
I have to say that the the actor Josh, who plays her her pimp, he is the most wonderful human being. I mean, he's nothing well, like you cannot tell from that movie, Suzanne. Yeah, he won an award. I mean, he won. We were in Napa at the Napa Valley Film Festival, and he won an acting award for it because he's well. He he's should. Good. He should, and he is just an incredible human and i'm so proud of him in this movie because he put a tremendous they all did a tremendous amount of thought into their characters like he designed all his own tattoos and it was just really it was a lot of fun to get to that's really cool to life he's someone i've known for a long time personally so it's just fun to see him in this role because it he's very good in it well yeah. i'm still gonna kick him in the shin when i see him but that's fine because <laughs> he, he did his job, he's he's job. yeah <laughs> uh, but tell me, Suzanne, we've talked about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. What was it like being kind of the woman? I, I think it's hard for, for, let's just be real. It's hard for female writers. It's hard for female actresses. It's hard for female filmmakers. I think, in fact, the other day, Coco told me, this is the Kamala Harris effect, but Coco told me that she was in school and someone was speaking over one of the girls and she said, I'm speaking. And she got really mad. <laughs> Because someone was interrupting her and talking over her. And I told Coco, I said, I got to tell you, babe, this is an experience I've been having my whole life where I have a man talk over me or interrupt me and I can't even finish my damn thought. So what was it like to be a female filmmaker, Miss Suzanne? Because I know that that does happen. Like, do you feel like your voice was heard all the time? Did you feel like it was a struggle? Like, tell me about that part. Yeah, I... I'm lucky because my one of the partners is also a female, you know, so it was really that's I learned a lot from her. Uh, yeah, of course, of course, there were times where I feel like my voice wasn't heard or it was my own insecure. Like I've really, you know, kind of getting over my own insecurities of not overthinking things. I, I got into this like, which we can talk about later, too, is like I just overthink like every email you send or every voicemail you leave or just like overthinking stuff. I'm like, no, at the end of the day, like I have, you know, one of the final say, so I can stop, stop doing that. You know? Um, but I say when we were on set, it was actually really fun to be the producer. Cause they, I mean, ultimately like you are like leading this. And so, yeah, it was, it was fun to get to kind of, there's a lot of guys on set. So it was sort of fun to boss them around. <laughs> Not really. I wasn't a boss, but like, you know, a lot of our crew were guys. So it is sort of fun to be be like, you know, smaller than them physically and just being like, okay, I I need you to go back and give me that light bulb or whatever it was. Do that scene four more times. Yeah, if you could do that. But I I mean, yeah, there's for females, I mean, it's it's always been an uphill battle, but it's, uh, we're getting there and the voices are being heard. So I think that's a lot of fun and really encouraging. Oh, that's really good. Okay. So what was the hardest part you felt of the filmmaking process? Maybe something we don't even realize. Just perseverance, honestly, is because this is a passion project and it's been so many years in the making and such a marathon um, with a lot of twists and turns, you know, I, I think just stick, seeing it through to the very, very end, which we're close, you know, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And we are on this side of things where you're getting positive feedback and affirmations where you're like, okay, good, good. You know, it's hard. I mean, there was a point where I was talking to our mutual friend, Allie, and like I do with my friends, I was crying. <laughs> you know, I was having a moment of just frustration and just, just being tired. You know, you're just fatigued, right? Like it's been a long journey and I was just sort of expressing some just frustration, just being tired. And she said, you know, so often people quit when they're really close to the end. And she's like, just keep going, just keep going. You got this, like you got this. And it just meant so much to me because it's like you part of your whole, your whole thing is like warrior women is surrounding yourself with women who support you, who champion you. And I feel like if I wouldn't have had that and Brian, obviously too, it's like continuing to to cheerlead and say, see this thing through to the end. That's what's been the hardest is just staying the course. And yeah, I just, I, I'm really happy now because on the other side, we have a beautiful piece of art that's finished. And a lot of people start something that they don't finish. And so being able that's to That's what I told you, Suzanne. I said, think about all the people who never finish something, even if you finish it and nothing else happens, you won. Because a lot of people don't, they don't finish it. Yeah, so that, I'm really, really proud of that. You know, and if it wasn't for, 
I mean, our team is just, I mean, like with Avril and Ryan, it's like they, it's like the three of us, like we stuck together and we did it. Even when times were really tough, now we have something to be proud for. So to show. And I think the, the nature of the creative process, and I've heard this said by so many people, is that, you know, especially when it's a passion project, because it's one thing if you're being hired to do it and somebody else is paying you and you kind of feel like a guilt, like you have to finish it or bring it, bring it all the way in. But when it's your passion project and you really have to fuel yourself and you get in there and of course, in the beginning, who doesn't love it? It's a great idea. I can't wait to see the, oh, now we're on the set. This is really happening. All these things are so fun. Then they'll get, to, there's always a point where you're like, it's like the imposter syndrome comes in. Like, oh my God, who do we think we are? This is the stupidest thing. No one's going to see this. People are going to think this is stupid. What am I doing? You know, and then you think no one's going to, like, it's, you just start to talk yourself out of it. And those are the moments that I've seen people just walk away and quit. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you put your whole life into that thing. And now you're just going to leave it there. No. I mean, you have to bring it to fruition, good or bad. And you can't judge it. You know, other people are going to watch it and they're going to like it or not. They're not going to like it. But the fact that you brought this all the way to fruition is so amazing. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. I'm really proud of it. And like, you've been there almost from the very beginning. I mean, I remember having a conversation with you in Cabo about it. Remember? Yes. You're yes. like, listen, you either do this or you don't do it. And I was like, you're right. You're right. I'm going to do it. <laughs> well, it's either a hell yes or a hell no. And you know what? You just, you you just hit a milestone birthday. You're not as old as my ass, but you hit a milestone birthday. And don't yeah. you feel like even more now that you've hit this milestone that you're like, it's either a hell yes or a hell no people. Yeah. You're in or you're out. I mean, life's too short. And, um, yeah, again, it's just, you just have to just do it. And so I'm, I'm really, I'm proud of that. So perseverance, stick through even the hard times, keep going, just keep yeah. going. You don't judge it. Just keep going. So we, yeah. I said in the beginning, you're working on being comfortable in an uncomfortable conversation, Suzanne, tell me what that means. Let's get uncomfortable. <laughs> Honestly, just even doing this podcast, like I, I love one-on-ones, you know, I love hanging out with friends, having conversations, but knowing that people are going to listen to this gives me like a tremendous amount of anxiety and just like the whole zoom thing. I don't like doing that. It just, I, I'm such a people pleaser. So I, I don't like confrontation and I just, as you said, hit a milestone birthday. So I'm just really this year and moving forward challenging myself like you have to put yourself if, even if it's uncomfortable you got to do it you got to say it you got to do it so in showing my kids like I know that they don't enjoy being on zoom all day and there's things that make them nervous but this you know this makes me nervous when I'm doing it because I want to do it for you I want to do it for the movie I know that it's important to talk about these things and so I'm doing it yeah well and you know what this is the thing this is the truth you did not make Hosea for like four people no. You made Hosea for the world. So if you made Hosea for the world, Suzanne, then you got to mm-hmm. go out in the world and say, here's what I made. I made this great piece of art for the world. Because, That's right. Right? Because people need to tell stories like this so that they know they there is redemption. And right. that, that you're if you're in a dark place, that you can be loved. That's right. That we all deserve to be loved. We Everything. all deserve to be loved. We all deserve to be loved. And we're all... Well, this is a, I don't want to give it away, but it's like what she says at the very end is my favorite line of the whole movie. And it's like, it's kind of alluding to that. And I, um, we're good now how we are. So I think, uh, we have to realize that and yeah, it's hard to put yourself in those situations. I didn't, I guess I didn't think this far in advance of, of being the one who would be out there kind of promoting it publicly. <laughs> Because producers are usually behind the scenes. And so that's why I'm like, oh man, I got it. Because I was like, no, Ryan's the one that gets out. Like he, like our director, like he's really, really good at this. This is his strength. And on a lot of these podcasts, they've had all three of us be on. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, no, I have, to, I got to do this. Like it's part, it's part of the deal. Yeah. <laughs> when I told you that God only shows you the straightaways, if he showed you what's around the corner, you wouldn't do it to the <laughs> I said, oh no, I'm busy that day. I, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, know what? you have to use your voice because first of all, Desmond needs to see you use your voice yeah. and Charlie needs to see you use your voice. And so does Duncan, Oklahoma. Duncan, Oklahoma needs to see, even though I know he uses his voice. I've That's right. That. He's not afraid to use his voice. He's my one. It's like, he's good. He can speak I for himself. Heard, child, and I will be heard. That's right. That's exactly right. 
All right, so then we are on to the speed round, which is the best part of this whole thing. Now we're going to have fun. Okay. Okay. As if I don't know this answer, although there's two answers for you. Cocktail of choice. There's actually three. Can I do three or do I have to just do one? Your three cocktails. Okay. My all-time, all-time favorite that I drink with most of my lady friends is like a cold, ice cold Sauvignon Blanc, a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Which mm. usually when we go out, if you have your Pinot Grigio, I'm usually having that. Uh, but I also like, you know what I like on a summer day is a whispering like angel. a rose all day. Rose all day. The rose can go down like water, so I have to like. Yes. You know, that, that often. We had a moment on National Rose Day that Suzanne drank the rose rose like water, and the next day was not happy. I wasn't. I, I I don't think I drank rosé for a year after that. I think you did take that long of a break. It was like at least six months. I took a break. I was like, I think it's time. And then uh, I really enjoy a good IPA. I'm a big beer drinker. I was so. going to say, this is what shocks me the most about you, Suzanne, is because you do love your wine, but you like a beer. And there are not women, a lot of women who will be like, I like an IPA. I do. I'm one of the only, like, of all my girlfriends. I'm, it's usually like me with their husbands drinking a beer while they're drinking like a... I don't know, is that an Oklahoma thing, do you think? <laughs> you know what's funny? I never drank beer before I had kids, and something with pregnancy like changed my taste buds or something because I, I didn't drink beer before. But I, I love Mexican beer now and again. I, I will do a Corona with a lime now and again just to relive my college days. But I but it's not often. I'm often drinking a beer mm-hmm. more than Okay. You know. What about a mantra or quote you live by? I, I think it's sort of what I said earlier is like don't overthink it. I'm really trying, I just, that's what I'm trying to remind myself, everything that I do, like, don't overthink that, just do it. Like, is it you questioning things? Is it you saying like, oh, I don't know if I should just say that that way? Or what is it you're really? Yeah, like being worried, like even in this podcast, like, did I say something that might've offended someone? Like, just don't overthink it. Like, you're never going to grow if you don't learn, if you don't make mistakes and you don't learn, you know, and like every, especially too, with like producing, like producing my first feature, I was so afraid to make mistakes. Well, of course I'm going to make mistakes. People who produce lots of movies are going to make mistakes. So don't overthink it. Yeah. Do the best you can. So by the way, imperfect, perfection is gross. I don't like perfection. I like imperfect things and imperfect people. And you know, that's what it is. No one's perfect. It's it's impossible. So yeah. Perfect, Perfect is boring. That's right. Right. Um, what simple thing do you do for yourself? Like a self-care tip that we can do maybe ourselves. Cause we, you know, we're in the pandemic and we're going crazy. Well, I'm a huge lover of exercise, which, you know, yes. so <laughs> I try to fit in something physically active every single day. Um, and I've been lucky during the pandemic since Brian's around, everyone, we're all around 24 seven. So I've been able to do that as like, I'll hop onto Pilates zoom or go hiking, I'm, I'm really big into staying physically fit. You're very good with your hikes. And when they tried to shut down these trails on you, you were like trying to go rogue. Yeah. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> that, that was hard. I was like, fine. I'll just, I'll just walk around the neighborhood. That's fine. But don't worry. I'm going to get back on those trails. And I did. So you are a rule follower until someone tried to shut down your trails and you were like, excuse me. <laughs> I followed the, the day they I shut down. Can I, yeah, that's right. Can I tell the story? Like the day they shut down the trails, I went out really early before they shut them down. I was like, I'm going to go on like one last hike, a long hike. And I'm literally in the middle of nowhere, Topanga, in this like park ranger. I don't even know where he came from, like in a car and his, in his whatever truck threatened to give me a ticket or something. Like that. <laughs> I mean, he's like, ma'am, ma'am, you're not allowed to be out here. I was like, oh, okay. And then, <laughs> I I could give you three violations right now. I was like, what? Why? Are you serious? And so then, then when I came back, so when I started, everything was fine. The trail. And when I came back, everything was taped off and roped off. It was a caution tape. So it was the last one out in and out of that trail. (laughs) I mean, I love it so much. Okay. What makes you feel unstoppable? doing that no I it goes back to, <laughs> almost getting arrested on the hiking trail almost getting arrested by a car ranger. no I uh I love going out on really really long hikes I put in my airpods I have the dog and I'm listening to a podcast or some music sometimes nothing I'll just like pray or just just be with my thoughts and I will just go for hours like be out there for hours by myself I love it that makes you feel unstoppable I love it who do you most admire, Watson? 
honestly, right now I admire my kids. I think this has not been easy. You know, if we're having a hard time, think about them. Like one day they're at school, like everything's normal. They're running around. Life is good. And the next day we're like, okay, don't we need to freak out or anything, but like, we're not going back to school. Um, there's this virus we don't know a lot about, but don't be scared, but don't touch anything. Wash your hands all the time. You know, it's just been really like, it's <laughs> kind of mixed, mixed messages. And I'm just really proud of them because, you know, we're going to be on this zoom for an hour and I'm going to feel fatigued. You're going to feel fatigued when we're done. They're on zoom all day, every day learning and doing school. And I think that's really tough and I'm proud of how resilient they've been. So I do admire them right now the most. You're so right. And by the way, I never feel fatigued after this podcast. I feel like I've just done my two hours of hiking, just saying. Um, (laughs) What's exciting you the most right now? The pandemic being over. (laughs) Do you have any word on that? Because I'd love it to be over. It is going to be over, right? I want it to be over and then we can actually enjoy the roaring 20s. Like that's what I'm excited about. No, I, I think uh, turning 40, having a huge milestone, as you did too, during a pandemic, there's a lot of self, you know, there's a lot of self-reflection that comes with uh, a milestone. And I think what I'm excited about is there's this sort of pre-pandemic life and there's going to be a post-pandemic life. And it's interesting to, to be in this during a milestone birthday because I'm like, okay, how do I want the next half of my life to be? You know, what changes do I want to make? And I'm just... I'm really energized by these movements. I'm energized by what's happening. And even though there's a lot of unrest right now and there's some evil in the world, things don't change unless we can acknowledge that it exists and work to change it together. So I I am excited because I do think when this whole thing is over, we are going to see a lot of positivity come out of it. And I'm excited to be a part of that change. Well said, Watson. Well said. (laughs) Well, I did not tell you this, but this podcast is coming out right around Christmas because I thought oh, it a nice gift to everybody and having some Hosea around Christmas time, I thought would be the most beautiful thing in the world. So I'm going to ask you one other special question that I did not put on here, but oh. what are you, what are you the most hopeful about for 2021? I mean, sort of what I just said, I, new beginnings. I'm excited. I think we're also ready to leave 2020 behind us. And I think that that 2021 is going to be, even though there'll be some residual, like we'll still probably have masks and the COVID might still exist. I think we're all going to be ready to start a new chapter. And I'm really excited. I mean, Hosea, we'll kind of be closing the chapter on Hosea and I'm kind of excited for what's next. Can't I'm open. excited for you and what's next, Watson. I can't see what you do next. I know. I'm excited. I already have another idea percolating if I know you. I definitely do. I can't wait oh. to see and give you a hug. I know. I love you. Well, thank you so much, Watson, for coming on. I know it was out of your comfort zone, but this movie is too good not to tell the world about. And I've seen it and I'm going to shout it through the, for the rooftops. Hosea, you have to see it. We're going to put all the links, how you can get to it in the show notes so you can watch it. It's one of those movies that really does make you think it stays with you and the performances are truly very, very good. So I, I recommend it to everyone. It's got my stamp of approval, but thank you so much, Watson. Thank you for having me. I love this. Thank you. Okay. Love you. All right. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google play or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, leave us a review. This is the conversations with warrior women podcast with me, your host, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You need, all you need to do is ask her. Bye.